Pastor Brett here. This is the Saints Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Uh, we've got a brand new series called Jesus Changes Everything, looking at the four key ministries of Jesus found in Luke chapter four. We're gonna dive right into the work, and we've also got a bonus episode for you coming from our Highlands location. That's right, Saints Church is a family of churches across the Edmonton region. We've got West Edmonton, East Edmonton, in Parkland County. So dive in to this message. It's called You Need Jesus. We'll open the scripture in Revelations 2 verse 4. Speaking of the church of Ephesus, through John in a revelation. Yeah, well, new, new year, last book. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Another translation says, you have lost your first love. You've lost your first love. If I had to put my finger on why we're starting 2024 in this way, in, in, a, in, a, in an extended worship, because nobody planned that. The last, like, six songs, nobody, nobody had any idea what was happening. Thank God for a great team. If I had to guess why we're starting that way, it's because of this right here. We have lost our first love. Can you remember that first time you experienced or you met Jesus? Can you remember the first time you encountered the Holy Spirit? Can you remember that first time? Maybe it was in a church service. Maybe it was a camp meeting. Maybe it was a little country church on the edge of town. I don't know where it was or when it was. Maybe it was youth group. Maybe it was a Sunday morning. Can you remember that first time that Jesus just began to change everything? Can you remember? Anyone in the room remember? Now, just put your hand up. Does anyone remember? Do you remember what that felt like? Now, think about the difference between where you are now and where you were then. And you're like, no, no, things change. Yeah, things change and our relationships grow. But this, 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 this recommendation that Jesus has to the church at Ephesus, he says, listen, you're doing so many great things. In Revelation 2, he says, listen, you're doing all these great things. That's so good. I'm so glad you're doing great things. To the church at Saints Church in Glassbury, he says, you're doing so many great things. I'm so glad you're doing City Serve. I'm so glad you're doing the English language learning program. I'm so glad you're serving your community. But church, have we lost our first love? We don't come to church for us. We come to church for Jesus. I don't know about you. Psalm 38 forces, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that he is good. Taste and see that he is good. The psalmist writes, my heart and my flesh cry out for you, the living God. Your spirit is water to my soul. You ever felt like that? As I'm reflecting on what was and what would be in a new year. I I just keep about thinking about my sons. And the truth is, the only way that my sons are ever gonna understand or or know what it is to love Jesus and to live a life of passionately following Jesus is they see in mom and dad passionately loving Jesus. And it can't look like me being a professional Christian. Because that's the temptation of what I do for a living is that I become a professional Christian. I only read the Bible when I need to find a word. What I hope my sons see is somebody who loves Jesus, who loves the presence of Jesus, 
who's desperate to follow after him in every area and every facet of his life. What I hope my son see is somebody who prays, not because he has to, but because he wants to draw near. Because I actually believe it in James 4, 8, when he says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. And I understand that I need to draw near to him because he's been getting closer this whole time and I just keep walking away because I'm busy and I've got plans and I've got ideas and I've got schedules and I've got things to do and people to meet. And so I've just been walking away from him this whole time. So the reason he says draw near to me and I'll draw near to you is not because you need, you need to make the first move. It's because he's chasing you and you just keep running away. He says, stop for a minute. Let me get close. Because your intentionality of stopping and turning, he's just going to run right into you. Because he's right here. Matthew 7, verse 21 says, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. If you have a paper Bible, you should probably highlight that. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name, but I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Are you questioning your salvation yet? I do every time I read the passage. I'm like, dear Lord, am I gonna make it? Because I do all kinds of things for Jesus on the regular. I mean, they're my things for Jesus, but I do my things for Jesus all the time. He says, listen, it's not about your things. It's about my things. It's about our hearts being aligned. It's about having a relationship. It's not about performance. It's not about you showing up here on a regular basis just to check the box to say that you showed up here on the regular basis. It's not about giving because you think you're gonna get something back. It's about giving because you're giving in response to his goodness and you're being faithful to his word because above all else, we believe that his word is true and we live by the standard of his word because we build our life on a firm foundation. In the same passage, it skips ahead and says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise like a person who builds on a house on a solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. You might have waves coming. You might have storms coming. There might be winds blowing. But my question is, who are you building on? But anyone, listen to this, anyone in verse 26 of Matthew chapter 7, but anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish like a person who builds a house on sand. Now, here's here's the thing about this portion of Scripture. We have heard this time and time and time again, right? Like, oh, yeah, build on a firm foundation. We even sing a song, my hands a firm foundation. No, 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 no. We like, we, we're, this is our jam. I'm building my life on Jesus. Do you know who this is for? We go, oh, this is for all the people that don't know Jesus. Their life is, you know, their their life is, is built on all kinds of things. No, no, no. It's for the believer who knows Jesus but who doesn't listen. Like, no, that's not my interpretation of it. Let's read it one more time. But anyone who hears my teaching So you're probably not going to hear his teaching unless you come to a place where there is teaching. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it 
is foolish like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rain and floods come and winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. If there's areas in your life and if there's areas in my life right now that are collapsing, it's because there are areas that are built on my ideas, not on God's ideas. Because the winds and waves will come. But you'll make it through. You know, I think the, the best and worst Bible verse in Scripture is no weapon formed against me shall prosper. You're like, oh, come on, no weapon formed against me will prosper. Come on, I'm, I'm going to need some help today because I gave you permission earlier just to shout and to stand and wave and hankies, but that's fine. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. It's my favorite scripture. Listen, I, I, you should rethink your favorite scripture because it says no weapon formed against you means a weapon will be formed against you. Not only does it say a weapon will be formed against you, it says it will not prosper. So when I think of weapon, I think of a gun. I don't know about you, but that's what I think about. It's not historically accurate, I understand. But that's what I think about. What The best analogy I can give when it says no weapon formed against you shall prosper means there might be a gun in your face and they might pull the trigger, but you're still gonna live. And you're like, I don't know that I don't, I don't know that I like your Bible. Now, what we don't like is that there's uncertainty. But where we find certainty is in following Jesus. Here's the bottom line. I want to know Jesus. I don't just want to know about Jesus. You know, you know, I'm going to give you a phrase that you can use. Anytime you need me to repeat something, you just say, run it back. And then I'll just say it again. I got that from my good friend, Greg Hendricks. He just says, if you need me to repeat something, you just say, run it back. So here's what we're going to do. What do you need me to do? Okay, great. I want to know Jesus, not just know about Jesus. I'm going to take it a step further. I want to be known by Jesus. In Matthew 7, it says, you shout out my name, and I don't know you. I need, I want to know him, but I want to be known by him. I want him to see my face and smile and go, Brett, good to see you today. Just keep walking. When you get to heaven, I don't want the conversation for too long, to be honest. Let's not, let's not go into the past. Let's just focus on the future. Good to see you too, Jesus Christ. Uh, that's how I hope, I hope he's just going to see me like, yeah, come on through. Come on through. Come on through. Like, I don't... Back in the day, there's a big youth conference in Edmonton, and I, I used to, I was an intern there, and, and Pastor Randy used to work there, and, and, and there was this test. Our, our executive director, he wore a backstage pass, and it was an all-access pass. But for every security volunteer, we said, listen, it doesn't matter who tries to get backstage. If they're not wearing a pass, they don't get in. That's the rule, right? Backstage pass. Well, every once in a while, somebody who, who needed to get back there, like, our executive director, Mike Love, would try and walk back there. And if he didn't have his pass, it was the volunteer's job to say, I'm sorry, I can't let you through. We were singing earlier, I get to live with you forever. Did you ever have that moment where you wonder if you're going to get up there and be like, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to let you through. 
The reality is we don't have to be worried about that if we have an actual relationship with Jesus, a personal relationship with Jesus. I'm not talking about just like church attendance relationship with Jesus. I'm talking about an actual one where he talks to you and you talk to him and you walk with each other and you go through life with one another and you do this together. I want a real relationship with Jesus, not just a framework of belief. I don't know how many of you have, have seen on, on the internet or on, maybe it's just me that there's all these ads that like pop up on your social media and everything's a, fra- a framework for success. Here's a framework in five easy steps to acquire two apartment buildings and just set your income on, on, on repeat. Everything's some sort of framework. I'm going to give you a five-step framework to do this. I'm going to give you a five-step framework to do that. I'm going to give you a seven-step framework to guarantee success in your life. Listen, I'm going to give you one step, and there's no framework. You need to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Real relationship where you submit your life. This is what a relationship with Jesus looks like. I'm sorry, I should let you clap. This is what a real relationship with Jesus looks like. I give my whole life to him. In the book of Matthew, it says, I love the Lord with all my heart, my soul, my strength, and all that is within me, meaning I hold nothing back. That's, that's what a relationship with Jesus looks like. I love him with all my heart, my soul, my strength, and all that is within me. I don't know why I'm looking at my notes. They're not going to help me. Let's go to Luke chapter 4. I want to share with you Jesus' first message in his hometown. We've started a series that this will have to fit into called Jesus Changes Everything. In Luke chapter 4, verse 14, it says, Then Jesus returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power. So, Actually, let's back it up. All the way at Luke chapter 4, verse 1. In Luke chapter 4, verse 1, then Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. He returned from the Jordan. So Jesus gets baptized. The Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove. He's full of the Holy Spirit. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, it says in Luke 4, verse 1, says he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. In the wilderness, he gets tested. He's fasting. He's praying 40 days. You're like, man, we're starting a new year. Are we doing fasting and prayer? Yeah, let's do it Jesus style. 40 days. Jesus goes out, it says Jesus was out there. And then in Luke 4, 13, well, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So the devil tries all these things over and over and over again. Jesus wins, he passes the test, he fights back with scripture. They get into this like Bible verse quote off about who's right. Why? Because the devil always comes as an angel of light. He comes with a deception, he twists the truth. And the only way you can, you can really fight back is by speaking and declaring the 100% truth of the word of God. Satan tempts us, here's what it says. Satan departed from him until an opportune time. Here's what we need to understand. Satan tempts us during opportune times. He tempts us during opportune times. He tempted Jesus. He said, listen, why don't you just turn some stones, turn some rocks into bread because you're hungry. Listen, if I'm, doing a, if I'm fasting and praying, which we're going to do at the end of January here, three days, like, oh, my goodness. If I'm fasting and praying, I can tell you, if I watch TV, every single commercial is a food commercial. The devil tempts me at opportune times. 
Verse 14, then Jesus returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power. So he went in the desert full of the Holy Spirit's power. He returned full of the Holy Spirit's power. Why? Because even when you walk through difficult seasons and temptations and trials, if you're operating in the Spirit, then he will give you strength. He's gonna put his Holy Spirit strength, power, energy into you, even when it doesn't naturally make sense. So Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region, and he taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. He shows up, he starts speaking to Jesus. You're so amazing. You're so funny. Don't you love the way that he tells a story? Wow, there's an authority when he speaks. He goes around to every synagogue. People are saying nice things. That's probably a bad sign. Verse 16, when he came to the village of Nazareth, so this is his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on Sabbath. I'm just gonna stop there for a moment. You probably need to underline as usual because if Jesus went to church every week, so can you. He probably didn't need another message, but he wouldn't miss an opportunity to worship. He went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and he stood up to read the scripture. It was their tradition that everyone would stand to read the scripture and then they would sit for the teaching. So the scroll of the prophet was handed to him. So someone just picked, they gave it, said, this is what you're reading today. It's the book of Isaiah. So he didn't pick the book, but he picked the place. He found a place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Then he rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And all eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. This is the first message that Jesus spoke in his hometown. And he reads the scripture, and everyone's just looking at him. Their eyes are focused. Where is he going to go with this? Where's he gonna take this? Because what Jesus is doing right here, he is rolling out his mission statement, his values. You know, like every company has a vision statement. You've probably forgotten the one at your work. It's fine. Every company has one, visions, missions, values, all those things here we just go with. We follow Jesus one step at a time. That kind of trumps everything all the time. He says, this is what I'm going to do. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released. The blind will see, the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And all the eyes focus on him. All the eyes focus on him. Then he began to speak. The scripture you just heard has been fulfilled to this very day. Mic drop. I'm the answer. Verse 22, everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be, they asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? This is positive feedback. Oh, isn't this Joseph's son? This is amazing. He's, he's so nice. He's so polite. He just speaks with authority. He's, probably, he's pretty funny. I don't know what he means by the next phrase. Their eyes were focused and attended on him. They're like, oh, man, this is really great. But then he continues. Uh-oh. Verse 23, then he said, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself, meaning do miracles here in your hometown like you did those in Capernaum. So word was getting out, just do what you did over there because we're here to be entertained, which is the default position of most Christians in the 21st century. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his own town. Certainly. There were many needy widows in Elijah in, in Israel in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and severe famine de devastated the land, yet Elijah has not sent to any of them. 
he was sent to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon, and many in Israel had leprosy in the time of the prophet Elisha, but the only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian. And when they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. He just made racially charged statements in church. They're like, no, 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 no. We're not talking about those dirty sinners, those other countries. We're not talking about that warlord that God healed. We're just going to forget that portion of scripture. No, no, we're talking about the Savior of the world's come to save us. And the tone changed. And then they started using the same words with a different vibe. Matthew 13, 35. Is this not the carpenter's son? That same thing that was a compliment gets turned into an accusation. The son of Mary. Is not his mother called Mary, his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. In Mark 3, another parallel. Then they scoffed. To scoff is to speak in a scornfully derisive and mocking way. They scoffed. He's just the carpenter, the son of Mary. They were so mad. So mad. They went from loving him to hating him in a moment. Why? Commentator Daryl Box says this remark of Jesus is strong for two reasons. It, number one, compares the current era to the listeners of that day. It compared them to the least spiritual period in Israel's history. So Jesus was commenting without having to comment. And then it suggests that the Gentiles, who were intensely disliked, which is a polite way of saying they hated everyone who wasn't one of them, they didn't like the idea that maybe they were worthy of a savior. That prophecy started to rub them the wrong way. There's another one in Isaiah 11:10. 10. It says, and in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people for the Gentiles shall seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. Jesus was making the greatest announcement in the history of the world. Salvation is here and salvation is for everyone. Here's what I'm here to tell you today. Simply this. I'm here to tell you that Jesus died for the world 2,000 years ago and that no matter your ethnicity, no matter your background, no matter where you come from, Jesus can, will, and wants to save you. I'm sorry. I'll run that back. I'm here to tell you that Jesus died for the world 2,000 years ago and that no matter your ethnicity, your background, where you come from, what you've done, who you know, Jesus can, wow, Jesus can and will save you. See, it's easy for us to condemn those that were listening to those words going, come on, what was the big deal? Just a few Gentiles. It's easy for a room full of Gentiles to say, what's the big deal? That's who we are. We're direct beneficiaries of this prophecy. Unless you're a Jewish person in this room, the rest of us are Gentiles. This word is for us, that Jesus wants to save us. It's easy to condemn those people. I can't believe they'd be mad at Jesus. But for us today, we must destroy. This is what we have to do. This is our cross to bear. This is our get angry moment where we get angry at the preacher. We get angry at whoever's saying it. We have to destroy the idol of a savior of our own making. Where he does what we want, how we want, when we want, if we want. Where church service functions in the way that we think it should within its proper operating parameter. 
We must choose Jesus and choose to follow him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. Anything less is to eat the bones and spit out the meat, trying to nourish our soul with tidbits and sound bites. I was going to be encouraging in 2023. Here's the response of the people. I need to wrap this because kids are going wild. I can feel it in the spirit. When they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him, and they forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built, and they intended to push him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. They tried to murder him by throwing him off a cliff. Ironically, when Satan tempted him, he took him to the highest part of Jerusalem, and he said, jump, and the angels will save you. Isn't it interesting that we begin to see the very spirit that they were operating in? Yeah, we're good. Jesus' first ministry. We're going to look at four core ministries of Jesus over the next four weeks. Jesus' first ministry was salvation. Okay? His first ministry was salvation. That was his first goal. I've come to bring the good news to the poor. Is this okay? Can I just share one thought with you? Thank you. If you said no, I was going to anyway. Jesus came to preach the good news to the poor. That's what he said. We're just, we're just understanding the core ministries that Jesus laid out in his mission statement in Luke chapter 4. In, in Greek, there are two words. That's the language that the New Testament is written in. There's two words for the poor. There's panas, which is the working poor, and there's tukos, which is the begging poor. The begging poor meant that they can't do any work. If someone doesn't have any mercy on them, then they will die. That's the begging poor. In case you're trying to keep score, we are spiritually the begging poor. We can't earn our way to heaven. We cannot do enough good deeds. We cannot be perfect. We're humans and we make mistakes. We're all sinners and therefore we need a savior. Jesus said that he's come to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. My friends, can I tell you, it's 2024. It's a new year. In what time is it? It's the acceptable time of the Lord. It is the time of the Lord's favor. The time of the Lord's favor has come, it says in Luke 4.19. In 2 Corinthians 6, it says, For God says, at just the right time, I heard you, I heard you, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. It's a messianic quote from Isaiah 49. It includes everyone, Jews, Gentiles, rich, poor, young, old, the gospel, and you're going to get offended with this statement, but you just have to listen to it and not listen to it through the lens of culture. The gospel is the greatest inclusion document in the world because it says anyone and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
See, we don't get offended when we hear it because we're like, oh, we're all mostly beneficials of people who've been saved. We're get it. We're with you. Salvation's good. But maybe next week you'll preach a message for me. No, this message is for you because every time you hear about salvation, every time we sing about the blood, every time we think about the cross, we should be full of gratitude and gratitude that doesn't end. Gratitude that ends up with me standing up and ugly crying and getting so full of thanksgiving that I just can't keep it inside me. Because Jesus came for me. He sees me. He knows me. And that's the scary part. He sees me and he knows me and he still loves me. And he still saves me. The first ministry of Jesus was salvation. Anyone and anyone who, anyone and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We get offended not at the idea of Jesus coming for Gentiles. We get offended at the idea that Jesus came for them. Hey, Daniel, you're in the house. You're in the house. We get offended. I'll just say it. Run it back. We don't get offended at the idea that anyone in a racial context can get saved. We're okay with that. We're beneficiaries of it. We get offended when we say they can get saved. A group that we've deemed unworthy, unlovable, maybe even disgusting or despicable. We're like, no, 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 no. It's good for us and ain't good for them. No, no, no. If it's good enough for you, it's good enough for them. Because he knows you. You're a sinner and they're a sinner. We're all sinners falling short of the glory of God. So this is a place where anyone, regardless of background, regardless of lifestyle choice, can come. Now, Shane Pruitt says it like this, and I'll just use his words. The goal of the gospel is not to affirm you, celebrate you, or accept you. The goal of the gospel is to rescue you, transform you, and redirect you.
invite you just to take a moment to repent right here, right now. I'm sorry, God, for thinking that you can't do it, that you don't love them. Just because I don't love them doesn't mean that you don't love them. Lord, teach me to love those people. And as you're praying that prayer, say them, say it by name. Say their name. Say their name. God, help me to love this person. I thought they were too far for you. No one's too far for you. I repent. I'm sorry.
Well, come on. Thanks for listening. This is the Saints Church Podcast. Saints Church is a family of churches across the Edmonton region. And we'd love for you to join us live and in person. There's nothing better. But if you can't, you can stream in on our YouTube channel. All the links are available in our profile. Uh, We would love for you to be a part of what God is doing here in Edmonton. We believe it's the beginning of a movement as God is pouring his spirit out. Don't forget, we've got that bonus episode coming at you hot. So if you love this one, just take it one step deeper, a different layer, a different angle. This is the Saints Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Brett. Have a great day.